Architecture and design is something that surrounds us everywhere we go. The houses we live in, the offices we work in, as well as the places that we use for recreation when we relax and play. Our next guest is Cherry Bailey, who is an architect, founder and director of La Foucard Bailey, who pioneer a collaborative approach to design involving all disciplines, from architect to designer, planner to builder. If, like me, this is something that you'd like to know more about, then join us after the introduction. Hello and welcome. I'm Clayton M. Coke, and I'm also the host for The Cashflow Show, the radio show that's disguised in the shape of a podcast, but with so much more. Every week we'll be interviewing someone inspiring from the business world and finding out how they started in business, what their trials and tribulations were, and how they intend to grow their business in the future. We will also be finding out about what they do in their spare time, as well as asking them to pick a book, a film and a favourite single or album, and to share their reasons for doing so. So why not join us at The Cashflow Show? It's not just a radio show, it's a whole new way of doing business. The Cashflow Show, coming to you from the city of London, real people, real business, real talk. Welcome to The Cashflow Show, Cherry. Good afternoon, Clayton. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. We've given you a brief introduction there. Can you tell us a bit more about you? Because my introductions are always a, an overview, but people always want to know from the founder or the entrepreneur themselves what it is that they actually do in their company. I'm an architect. Since I was 13, I've always wanted to be an architect. My whole career has been based on just loving the built environment. My thing that I really always wanted to understand was when I was about 13 and I saw Live Aid, I saw a lot of poverty. I wanted to be able to give back and the thing that I thought that I could do and I was good at was drawing technically. I decided that I was going to become an architect and give everyone a house. So that's my main motivation really is to provide good housing and to build cities really and give back to the community. I just couldn't understand at that age why somebody wouldn't have a house, why someone didn't have somewhere to live. And um, I wanted to be able to be a part of solving that problem. Wow, that's really, it's, that's very deep. And that's actually a very laudable thing to do. You have to have a purpose in life and there is no better purpose than being able to provide housing for people. So tell me more about La Foucard Bailey. If somebody were to go onto the internet, what would they see and how would you like it presented to them, the company as it is? I would say I'm a holistic architect. The architects of old, and my favourite architect is Gaudi, the architects of old, they went through an apprenticeship programme whereby they took 30 years to learn architecture. And so they learned about everything from the built environment, from the natural stones to human body, to astrology, to understanding the environment and really understanding how to create things with their hands as well and even become artists as well. So for me, the architect that I kind of look up to is, is Gaudi because he was the kind of architect that creates everything. He would design a fork, he would design a window, he would be very good at doing designing parks. And so he was someone, an architect to me is someone that does everything. 
Um, and I was very fortunate for my own self at the age of 15 to be able to build and design a car. And we won a competition in um, the BP Young Designers Competition in about 1985, I think around that time. And um, yeah, my it's always been a part of me to do lots of different things. So, and as a creative, I think architects, in that way helps you to kind of understand for me everything is architecture so even the psychological aspect of somebody is architecture to me so when you go into my website you will see that I have over time developed how to use all those principles and to create that and bring that into your home and what I have now been able to uniquely do is bring together healthy energizing homes which is really about looking at you in your environment and finding that balance that you can create peace and harmony within your home life. What are your earliest memories of being interested in architecture or design? Because obviously you mentioned the live aid thing and obviously that was a, a pivotal point for you. That was a turning point for you. Which came first? Was it the the sort of the experience of, the, of wanting to be an architect, or was it the idea of seeing that homes needed to be done, or the homes needed to be built, but you could do that as an architect? It's definitely the latter. Is um, I believe that um, for myself personally, I was the opposite. Actually, I was a musician. <laughs> I used to. Um, I got a scholarship to play the guitar. I was used to write music, poetry. I was actually on the musical side. Oh, I didn't so, know this. Um, yes, I was. Um, so I had the scholarship. My parents. I used to write songs and play the keyboard, and so everyone thought I was going to go into music and dance because that's where I used to always kind of promote myself and push myself out there until I saw that event <laughs> and when I saw that event um, a live aid event um, something inspired me to want to be able to provide a service and to leave my mark on the planet and that's how I thought I can do that right I, I didn't know this at all this is why I love this program because I learned just as much about the guests even though I may have known them for many years as the person who is listening or people from the cash flow crew who are regular listeners so that is fascinating you've obviously desired to initially go into a more artistic or more musically and dance inclined type of career but then you then obviously have this epiphany so how then do you move from being a creative in one respect, but to going towards architecture, design and building? Well, the thing that I think unknowingly to myself is metaphysics. It is the process of evolving. And through the metaphysics of understanding and having experiences, and I think that's where I go back to the old architects being apprenticed, is like I learned from a very early age, how to learn to, to teach myself to do things. So I taught myself to play the guitar. I taught myself to play the, the keyboard. You know, I've always been that kind of person to teach myself. Or if I like something, I'd be like, oh, I'll try it. So I feel there was no fear in me actually trying something new. Uh, so, and I think that's one of the things that I like about being an architect, because every client and every project is completely unique to itself 
so it's always new so to me that is still being creative it's you're always evolving you're always trying something different you meet an, a client and the way they think is completely different to the last client so for me it is more of a, a metaphysic approach unknowingly I've been doing it as I got older and I started studying metaphysics in a much more deeper psychological way um, that kind of came about really because I was ill during my 20s so as I was studying architecture there was a polarity of me being physically ill and trying to heal my physical body and at the same time being very determined to be an architect so it was those two polarities that kind of merged as I got older because I learned when I was in my 20s that the medical system couldn't heal me because um, I had a skill illness and um, they basically just kept on giving me antibiotics, which meant that um, I got worse and worse and it didn't, they just in the end just was like, we don't know what's wrong with her, she's just not getting better. And I remember talking to my parents and just saying to them, these people don't know what they're doing. They're using me as a guinea pig. And at the bottom of my parents' road, there was um, homeopath. And I said, you know what, let's try the natural way. And so I went to see them. And within six to eight weeks, my body had cleared and I was well. And that took me down a holistic path mm -hmm. of understanding how to heal my body through healing my body and still being an architect, still going to uni, still winning apprenticeships and you know, there's lots of highlights in my life that I've had along the way, you know. I was able to, at that time, it was very, it felt like I was living two lives. I was living the life of going to work, studying, being an architect, and finding that process in itself difficult during the 80s and 90s because, you know, there wasn't many black female architects at the time and I was constantly told that I shouldn't do it. And why was I here? And that, you know, who, what black architects do you know? And I didn't know any, to be fair. I just was here because I was desired to be an architect. But I didn't know a black architect at that point in my life that I was emulating. I was just turning up. Um, so it was really different for me when to go home and then have to be counteracting, trying to heal my body. And at one point at uni, it kind of got to the stage where I had to leave university because, you know, I was, I just couldn't cope. I just couldn't cope with the two polarities that was happening at the time. So I gave up architecture for a little while. I had my son. And then eventually I realized that I felt there was more to me and that architecture was something that was calling me back. So I applied and I won a scholarship as an apprenticeship, which was very rare at that time to go and study in Hunters and Partners. And what was really interesting was that when I went for the interview, I didn't get the job, but the guy remembered me. He said, oh, you built a car when you was younger. And I was like, yeah. He goes, oh, I like that. He goes, come in for two weeks and um, we'll see how it goes. And I ended up staying there for four years. Wow. So that was, that was, so for my own personal journey, I've had lots of those kind of experiences where things have just happened. Mm-hmm. And they've happened to propel me to the next stage in that way. I've, my journey has been a very holistic approach. Even while learning architecture, because I was working and studying, I learned it completely differently to the people who was there full time. So when I talk to my full time architects friends, they're like, how did you show you did architecture very uniquely your own way? And I was like, yeah, I didn't do it the standard way. 
so so for me it's interesting to kind of look at myself and recognize that a lot of it was self-taught mm. i kind of self-taught myself architecture because i did it but i didn't learn it and that's a unique way of doing architecture which was really weird being an architect because in particularly in architecture school theory architectural theory is a very big part of architecture but because i was working part-time working and studying i actually learned on the job so that aspect wasn't a part of my process so when it comes to architecture i can talk about how to do architecture but not necessarily the theory of architecture mm. does that make sense yeah i can understand that yeah so you talk about not knowing any other architects and not knowing any black architects couple of questions for you on that did any of your family have design aspirations that you knew of or were you the first one no actually my sister was a um, a-level art student so she was more of a um, she was very good at freehand drawing I was the opposite I, I'm not a freehand drawer I can technically draw with <laughs> which was a completely different thing so that's why architecture suited me more because I, I can technically draw with, you know, pens and rulers and stuff like that. I am not as confident to draw freehand, whereas my sister was a, an artiste, I would say. Mm. She was very, she was more an artiste. So, um, but in the creative field, musically, I was the artiste in the musical field. You see what I mean? So yeah. we had similar things, but in different places. Of course, yeah. So... I mean, this was a question I was going to ask later, but I can drop it in now because we're on that topic. So th there's been a push for diversity in all areas of life. It's a big, big topic, a very big topic. Why do we see so few black architects in the space? It's a catch-22 for me because equal opportunities was why I got a job in the first place um, in 1988 in Southwark Council. Um, they had an equal opportunities push and um, myself and Michael, two black people, a boy and a girl, we got a job in um, Southwark Council. Um, but it, what was in interesting is that there was actually a lot of racism back then. A lot of people may not know that. <laughs> yes, un unfortunately, <laughs> un unfortunately, local authority life was was very much yeah. a double-edged sword yeah. insofar as at the end of the day, there were equal in inverted commas opportunities, but there was still, let's put it this way, it was more of a, a talking shop than actually getting things done. That's correct. And the people that made those headways and got into the system, we took the first brunt of that change. And I think it was, for me, yes, I would definitely say I came across a lot of it. At the same time, it, I didn't allow it to affect me. Um, I, didn't get, I didn't use it as a reason not to push myself forward. I used it as a, as a way of being more determined to make it work. I would say that those challenges made me the person I am. It also helped me to learn to be much more balanced in my own self and to communicate with all types of people of all uh, cultures and really kind of understand people better. And I think that experience, as harsh as it felt at the time, um, you know, particularly in architecture, I think it's difficult because it is an old man's club. Um, they weren't used to women firstly, and then they definitely wasn't used to black women <laughs> at the same time. Um, so it was 
an interesting experience, but luckily for me, I always had other black people or black um, architects in my year or within around me. So we supported each other through this. And yes, we did have our challenges. And yes, we did try to, you know, I remember one time going to the students within my year because we were the first year to be multicultural in a sense that we had no English students. We had European students and world students from all over the world, but we had no English students in our class other than us who was English, but we were black. Um, so, <laughs> but, um, so that threw that year into a bit of a, a spiral because they didn't know how to deal with us because some people couldn't speak English very well and the rest they didn't really class as being English at that time. So, so yeah, so it was an interesting experience to go through that. But I think I learned how to speak up for myself. Mm -hmm. So I think there is two ways of looking at that. You can look at it and be negative about it, or you can say, well, actually, that made me learn how to speak up for me and make sure that I did the best I could. And sometimes it may not have been good enough. I've, you know, we've all had failures. And I think you learn through your failures and I think that's what it taught me the most, that failures can be your greatest assets at time. It can teach you a lot about yourself um, and we shouldn't be scared to fail or to be challenged. I think that's actually a very good point. And obviously, you know, to be challenged and to fail. I mean, the fact is we get a lot of information telling us to be successful, be successful. But a lot of people mask the fact of their success is tempered with failure. And I think for a certain degree, that is what's made me be able to run my own business. Because I think I came into architecture with the mindset that one day I would run my own business. It was always part of who I was at the very beginning. And I understood that going and working within the field of architecture with all the companies that I worked for, it was a learning experience. So each practice I worked for, I learned something new and I learned how to do a different type of architecture or see a different architectural business model. And that, in the end, was very helpful to me because, you know, in 2009, when the recession happened and I had the opportunity to, well, if we, you could say it's an opportunity, but it was, you know, it was didn't feel like it when you was made redundant, but, but it was then you saw the opportunity to then do what you've always wanted to do, which was start your own business. So, yeah, I started the business in a recession. And I think that's really what's helped me last this long because I started in a recession. <laughs> so I've, I've always goes back to basics when it comes to difficult times. It's like, yeah, just one project at a time. That's all you need. And people are the key. When did you decide to start your business? What was it, the magic thing that where the light bulb went on? You think, I can do this. I can do my own business. The light bulb effect really came when I decided to do a place in the sun exhibition, which was like for an architect, it's like, why are you there? I mean, you're there because people are buying houses in the place in the sun, Channel 4 thing. People are buying holiday homes and stuff like that. But I wanted to 
initially I'm from the Caribbean, my parents are from the Caribbean, um, so I initially wanted to build homes in the Caribbean and you know and do do all these kind of thing. And I mean, which I have done, I have done some of that. But it was interesting that I decided to go there because I was like, okay, I'm going to set up this international company and do all these kind of things. And then when I got there. We didn't have many takers at first and people were interested and everyone was like, okay, I'm going to build a house abroad and, you know, that's nice. And then I met this Australian um, developer and he was like, why are you here? And I was like, I don't know, I'm just here because I really feel it's the right thing to do. And he goes, I've been waiting for someone like you. And I was like, really? He goes, yeah, um, I want to um, develop cities and, um, yeah, I think you can help me. So that took me on a journey of fulfilling my dreams in a sense of I went there with the aspiration to build one house and within a year I was designing cities in Ghana and Kenya and Malaysia and with this guy and it was like wow God kind of gave me I thought I had a small dream but this was a big one I didn't I didn't expect that to happen but what I learned through that and this is why I say failure is good because what I learned through that is that acquiring land and designing schemes for cities around the world is not as difficult as you think, and the opportunities are there, but the financial models to solve that problem is the issue. Mm-hmm. And what I learned from that is that there was we got very close a lot of times to bankers in Africa and in England and in China and saying that they will fund these kind of projects. But the reality is, obviously, they didn't come to fruition. <laughs> so, And there's a lot of technical stuff behind the scenes to get those big master plan cities up and running in these countries. Um, and so that was a disappointment to me because that was my dream when I was 13 to do this, to design and give houses to, in Africa and to develop these things. And, um, you know, to realize that business element of it was the stopping point mm-hmm. was, you know, saddening. Unfortunately, the problem with these things are, is like with anything, if you'd have carried on with your creative and your music career, you would have realized that it's not the artistry of the singing or the, the words or, or, or making the records or doing the performance. It's the business behind it that makes it all very murky. Mm. So in the end, when that realisation came and then the, the 2009 crash came and we made, made redundant from work and, you know, the only thing left for me at that point was to go back to what I've always wanted was to run my own business. And that's when I started um, Lafricard Bailey Limited. How did you decide the kind of clientele that you were going to cater for? What was your plan then? Did you think to yourself, I'm going to do things differently now and this is how I'm going to do it? I would say yes, but the catch-22 with that is that what you realise then is that what you have is you don't have any resources, you don't know anyone, (laughs) and so it's like, what happens now? You want to start a business, so what happens when you haven't got a network? Because mm-hmm. that wasn't your mindset. You know, your mindset wasn't to like create all these people to help you. You were just doing architecture, enjoying what you're doing, and doing that. So, 
what you then realize is that you have to surrender and you just have to just and in a way dream and dream in a sense of saying that you have to say to yourself well when the phone rings and you're talking to a friend and they say oh my my neighbor's looking to do a loft conversion or somebody oh my I've, I've spoken to my friend and they said they're looking for an architect and i told them about you 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 soon realize that you have got a network you didn't realize you did so my first ever client was through a family friend who neighbor wanted to do a loft conversion. Mm. And so, you know, I said, okay. And what's really interesting with this story is that 14 years later from doing his loft conversion, we are now working together because he's now a contractor running his own business and he's asked me to be the architect. Wow, great. But at that time, we didn't know that. Okay. <laughs> do you see what I mean? That was for the future. Exactly. And that's when I talk about being in the moment and being faithful to yourself in the moment, because you don't know what that's going to knock on effect of that's going to happen. And that's what I've learned hmm. uh, running my business is that friends and family just be doing your job, doing it well. I know there is a saying, don't work with your friends, don't work with your family. But in my instance, those people have been my biggest supporters mm. and through them just recommending me just word of mouth is how the business became and I just was in myself took it from as have as much integrity and be as transparent as possible working with people and yes there was that initial kind of reservation of how do you charge when it's friends and family <laughs> but you know I kind of gave myself a say, well, this is a base fee. Everyone, everyone pays that as a, as a, as an offering, you know, for my time. And then it slowly started to escalate from that. I, you know, the more people I work with, the more recommendations I got, um, and then recommendations from other recommendations. And so for me, it's, it was a more of a, an organic development, my mm. business, no marketing, just word of mouth. So, in terms of your typical client, what would a typical client be for you at La Foucard Bailey? A typical client would be a homeowner who is looking to try something new and, and who is open. I think I've found more clients that every client I meet to a certain extent, they've watched TV and they've seen bad experiences. So everyone's a bit like, oh, I don't know how to do this because it's going to be a bad experience. And my whole ethos is that it doesn't have to be a bad experience. You know, that is somebody else. They, they may not have met all the points that you need to do. So I'm an educator. I would say the difference about working with me is that I educate you about what you are getting yourself involved in. Mm -hmm. And yes, there will be challenges and there will be hurdles to, to jump over. But if you got the information and you ask the right questions, anything can be resolved. And that's how I work. Everything is for a solution. I'm solution orientated. The Cashflow Show, coming to you from the city of London. Real people, real business, real talk. One of the things I wanted to ask is, is that you often hear stories. No, and I think often is the wrong word. You sometimes hear stories why some people end up falling out with the architect or designer. Do you know from your experience what the reasons could be behind that? 
Yeah, from my own experience, to be fair, it's only happened to me twice, um, which is good, <laughs> over 11 years, <laughs> over 11 years. And I would just really say that it is communication. It is, that is the biggest issue that we have on site. Um, and it's a blame game. Everybody's trying to blame someone for a wrongdoing or an accident. And for me, that's where the frustration comes, because as I said before, I'm solution orientated. Um, as I said to a lot of my clients, you know, I've built much more difficult projects. So an extension is not going to scare me. Do you see what I mean? But I get it from their experience because it's unknown to them. Mm-hmm. It's going to be, they have never built one. They've never gone through that experience. So to me, it's about navigating that. The thing that always happens is, unfortunately, it comes a point where you make a decision whether you can communicate with that person moving forward. And what always happens is financial. Unfortunately, particularly in these circumstances in life, you know, when times are difficult, you you have to respect. And that's how I look at it. I respect the fact that all my clients have, you know, used their savings or they've got a loan or whatever to build something. And but they've also got to recognize to a certain extent that the contractor, his purpose is to build a building as quickly as possible and to get out of out of sight quickly. And as like we was talking about business models earlier on, there isn't actually an amazing business models for small contractors. There isn't a business model. They too are working based on their own kind of understanding. Okay. And they're not all going to have gone to business school and learned business. <laughs> you know, they've learned how to sell and they've learned how to to, to do their job very well. And so for me, it's like everyone needs to, at times, understand the position of the other person. And like anything, when you do a build, it's emotional because it's a lot of things are happening that you've never come across before. Arguments, disturbances, your neighbors. It's like, it's like a continuous flow of lots of information and lots of things that you've got to have immediate solutions for. And if you haven't got immediate solutions for them, when they build up, you then hear of contractors walking off site. You hear of clients withholding their money. And it then becomes very um, challenging to solve those problems because once you've got into that habit or that has happened to you, you're weary, you're scared. Mm. And unless you can find someone to come in and talk to you and say you know what this is actually normal you to you it's not normal it's not normal it's not normal that that's costing me more money or that builder has built that wrong what do i do so i'm like for me again it comes back to the word education Hmm. you have to be educated on the roles of everyone and i always say to the clients your building inspector is actually your friend sometimes they think the building inspector is not your friend i'm like you've paid for the building inspector to come to see your to make sure your building is built correctly Call them. If you've got an issue, call your building inspector and say to him, the wall has been built wrong or I'm I'm concerned about something on my build. Could you come down and have a conversation with me? And I think that bit, if they did, if a lot more people understood that the building inspector is actually their friend, 
Yes. It might actually help them a little bit more because they think, oh, the building inspector is on the builder's side because the builder calls him to say this is what's happening. But he's also a direct contract with you because you've paid him. Correct. So call him, you know, call the structural engineer, call, call the people that you've employed or given you information for your project. That's a piece of information that you will only know from experience. And the fact is, if when you employ somebody or a firm like Lafoucard Bailey, what you're employing or what you're asking for is not just assistance with the shape or the design or the materials, but you're also asking for assistance with how do I navigate the system? A hundred percent. And I think and that's another aspect that we've got to understand is that no one's, you know, a builder, a contractor they're very good contractors, like anything. There's very good architects. There's, there's, you know, there's bad. There's all sorts going on. But at the same time, what you've got to also understand is personality. Um, much more of this is about personality than anything. Mm-hmm. The actual build is still going to be the same no matter who does it. But it's personalities and how they get on. And I always say to all my clients when I leave them and I say to them, okay, I can offer you the full remit, but I get it. You can only afford the planning or the the tendering aspect. And from then on, you're on your own. But I'm going to leave you with as much information at this stage so that you can communicate to your builder what you want. Because we've gone through this, through the tendering stages. I've sat down with you. I've gone through all the bits that you need. What's the electrical wiring? What's what your what your intent is? So that if you need to strip back because you can't afford something or or because the price is not what you expect, then you know where you're stripping back from rather than saying, well, I've got a quote and the builder says it's 60 grand to do something. And then I've ended up with a 90 grand build. Where did the 20 grand difference come from? Yeah, that yeah? makes sense. And, 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 and because you don't know where that 20 grand difference comes from, of course, it's going to be stressful to you. Because that was not ever your intent at the time. But then a lot of times you realize that, oh, when I got a quote, they didn't add, there was no VAT on that. Oh, I forgot to take in consideration the VAT. Mm. Oh, this is a lot more, this project's a lot more expensive than I thought because I thought the 60 grand was with VAT. No, it's not. Yep. Oh, well, what, what happens? What happens if have I got a contingency? Have I got a five grand contingency, 10 grand contingency? Do I say I've got a contingency? <laughs> If I say I've got a contingency, they might use my contingency. So, you know what I mean? It's like there is a lot going on. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean? totally get it. I totally get it. No, it's, yeah, very much so. Again, going full circle, 11 years ago, I started the business and there was a few clients that started with me then. And this year is like it's come full circle. Another one of my clients that I did, their loft conversion in uh, 2011, and you know, they've come back now and they've said, oh, could you do my extension? I must have done something right. Exactly. And that's the whole thing is if you're still there X amount of years later, as you, in your case, 11 years later, yes, you've definitely done something right. Definitely. The cash flow show, real people, real business, real talk. We want to move on to our section now called What Are You Like? which is our section that we basically look at your favorite book, your business book, your favorite records, um, films, etc., and get an idea behind your personality and what makes Cherry Bailey tick. So we're going to start off with your first of your favorite books, which is Back to the Future for Mankind 
Biogeometry or Geometry by Ibrahim Karim. Um, and he's an architect in Egypt. Oh. He studied the hieroglyphs and he studied the um, how they worked and what their meanings were. And he's into holistic design. He's really tapped into the netaru, the nature of design and the nature of, of signatures and what how our bodies function on an etheric level and how design is. So when you look at the pyramids and you look at a lot of these, you know, you go to Mexico and you see these amazing cities and Cambodia and you see these amazing architecture in India, these are timeless architecture. Everything's in stone. Everything's been left for us as information. And that's why I love architecture because there is... You can go anywhere on the planet and find amazing architecture, mm. megalith architecture all the way through. So back to the future of mankind is really us understanding the cycles of our evolution and understanding that we're going back to a time where nature has to become part of how we coexist with the built environment. You've also got another book called Biogeometry Signatures, Harmonising the Body's Subtle Exchange with the Environment, again by Ibrahim Karim. Yes, because that kind of taps into the holistic part of your body. Mm -hmm. And a, a bit like when I talked about the homopathy and understanding how to heal my body naturally, he uses, um, on the hieroglyphs and in general, we use signatures and these are frequencies that our bodies or parts of our bodies resonate to and you can heal your body using these kind of signatures so and you can also use them within your home environment to help you with the new electrical energy that's coming in and really understanding that we're here to harmonize energy feng shui is um i learned feng shui as well um feng shui is amazing at placement form and understanding placement of buildings within areas and also understanding the subtle energies that forms within buildings and how to harmonize that and cleanse that. Biogeometry is a similar system but it's more about the unseen. It's less, uh, the Chinese one is of the form that you see physically. The, the um, biogeometry is about using geometry geometrical symbols and signs and shapes to help to clear energy within your home and to bring, it, bring that peace. The thing that we have to understand is that with the new electrical energy field that we are now in, 5G, all these things that are happening, electric cars, our bodies are electric in nature and that we, electrical impulses, signals from our brain, signals to our body and we have no control of these things they happen without us even thinking but when we are at this ease and our body becomes ill is because those signals are being interrupted and those signals can cause harm so with the biogeometry signatures and using them within your home environment it's really about creating those neutral spaces where your body can rest and you can feel a complete relaxation and that is something that a part of my holistic approach is what I love and would like to share with people as well. Excellent. So you've also got The Secret of Light by Walter Russell. My favourite guy. He is a metaphysics guy. The Secret of Light. Light is everywhere. 
you know, the colour spectrum, you know, the fact that when we open our eyes, we see these amazing colours. And light is also information, is sound, you know, it's frequency. Music is, is, you know, a form of light as well. So really understanding that and how that works within our bodies and in the environment. Um, I'm really, I would say, in when it comes to, like, built environments like you go to you, you go to see the pantheon in and you you see all these columns mm-hmm. these really amazing columns that you see and if you understand that when the wind blows through it it creates a musical tone yes yeah, as it well ca- creates a as frequency well, and as well as a frequency yes exactly and we really are not understanding that those all of those things created a harmonious environment to live in. Now, for whatever reason, yeah. and in a way, what I would like to be able to help people do is bring a little bit of that within their homes. Concerning the Spiritual in Art by Wassily Kandinsky. Yes, and that's really to show you how music and sound and light also appear in art. And if you, I mean, a part of architecture, we learn about art and it's amazing to see these amazing abstract paintings and realize they're actually a musical symphony mm. in, in, in color and really understanding that all color has effect on your body and your way of thinking and everything. So it's all part of really understanding that even when you put color within your environment, within your home, you know, you know, like if you put a red wall, your your, your root chakra is being stimulated. You yeah. know, you're about grounding. It's like really understanding the color spectrum in regards to the holistic part of your body, the different chakras in your body, and understanding how you can create an environment that is really peaceful and harmonious. Not in every room. You know, every room has a different function, but understanding that we all need somewhere, particularly in our bedroom, you should really be resting. And a lot of the time, even in sleep, our bodies are not fully rested mm. because the environment we're in, it's still, it, the program is still running yeah. when it should actually be switched off. We move on to your business book and you've got The 12 Universal Laws of Success by Herbert Harris. And I love this book because it's really, the one thing that um, for myself as a business person is I recognise that the man-made business models didn't suit my personality and I wanted to find a deeper understanding of how to run a business and I recognized that um, the universal laws of success of, um, of, of, of Herbert really kind of helped you understand that you know that just like a couple of them which is like the the law of command and the law of focus okay and even the law of attraction these are all like really principles that I have used as a for my own business you know I like I said I don't actually market myself this is like one of the first times I'm marketing myself um, <laughs> thank you <laughs> <laughs> which is unusual for me it's a bit scary but it's 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 good I'm realizing I have to put myself out there a bit more I'm also on the house platform as well it's a new thing for me this past um during the past two years I've kind of made that leap but still the the main things that I use is spiritual laws to kind of resonate and to attune myself and to get that frequency going to 
have people come to me e- 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 evenly and just quickly, you know. And you know, sometimes I I amaze myself and I'm like, mm, I have no jobs this week, and then within the next day, two people are calling for work, and I'm like, oh, okay, that worked. I just needed to focus. I just needed to focus on that. I needed more work. And, and so in a way, that's what I used to, to work. I kind of used the business in that organic way to kind of build. And what I've learned now, the more that you focus on what you want and dream big and sort of manage it to your personality, the flow starts happening and things start happening around you. Brilliant. So you've also got as another business book, The Millionaire Master Plan by Roger James Hamilton. Yeah. And I like this book because it uses the Chinese philosophy of the yin and yang, and it also uses the different seasons and how to grow your business holistically from a natural point of view. Mm -hmm. And it also, what's really good about it, it teaches you what type of business person you are ah and once and really understanding like i'm a i'm a dymo so i'm a creative person so you know then there's a blaze who's like someone who likes meeting people then there's a tempo who's more about scheduling and 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 service and then there's a steel who is more about finances and then there's a you know a reflection a spirit spiritual person so it's like really understanding what form what parts of these people you are and understanding how you would work run a business completely different to somebody who was like you and that really helped me to kind of understand as a creative why my ebbs and flows are and why sometimes my energy levels are high and when they're low what I need to do and I can start tempering the business to meet my own physical energy levels so that I can actually start building the business. Great. That's fantastic. So let's move on now to your favorite records. The three that you've chosen, I have to say in advance, are records that I love. Absolutely (laughs) love these records. The first record that, that you've chosen is one of two by the group called Loose Ends. For people who don't know who Loose Ends are, Loose Ends were a British-based trio of Carl McIntosh, Steve Nichol, and Jane Eugene. They had some great success in the UK, but massive success, to be honest with you, in the USA. And one of the few groups to actually get an R&B number one in America. You've chosen two of their tracks. The first one is Choose Me, which is from their first album, A Little Spice. And you've chosen the second track called Stay A Little Wild Child, which is from the album Zagora, which is their fourth album. What are, you, what are your reasons for choosing those two killers? <laughs> well, you know what it was? I was 15 and I was allowed out for the first time. And my parents, I kind of went to Battersea Park all day. And I remember walking in and um, they had this little area where they had hovercrafts at the time. They were just promoting it. And that song came on. And whenever I hear that song, it just reminds me of my childhood and how fun and how I had a brilliant day that day. And yeah, it just brings me so much joy. I just love it. 
Yeah, um, I think loose ends were extremely, extremely underrated. And just because you actually put that on your list, I went back this morning and had a listen to both of those tracks. I thought, yeah, I could see myself back in the day moving. Um, um, and then I realised I better sit down and get on with the work that I'm supposed to be doing. <laughs> but yeah, some great tracks. And you've also picked The Night I Fell in Love by Luther Vandross, which is Luther Vandross's fourth album. And to me, it's Luther Vandross's best album. Oh. Yeah, I think it's his best. Uh, it's the one that I particularly love. It's, yeah, it's where all of the best elements of Luther Vandross comes together. It's a great album. It's a great album. What was your reasons for choosing that? Well, it was a toss-up between that and Busybody. <gasps> oh, no! <laughs> what, what are you doing to me? Oh, God, that record! <laughs> Oh, what are you trying to do to me? Oh. It was a toss up because, but, but the, the thing, I, the thing, the reason why is because, again, this is childhood. I just love dancing. I used to dance and perform all the time. And I remember being at school and they said, and I said to them, I was going to put a performance on. And they was like, what songs are you going to dance to? And I said, I'm going to dance to Busybody by Luther Vandross. And my sensitivity. <laughs> oh man! And I did, and I did like a, a a spectacular thing in the gym. I remember everyone sitting down, and I was just in there dancing my heart out to these two songs. So yeah, they just bring me lots of joy of remembering when I was younger at school. <laughs> That's a tune that very rarely. Um, a Busybody by Luther Vandross. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was from the third album. It's a song that very rarely gets talked about, yeah. but it's actually an amazing song. I remember. It's an amazing album. Yeah, yeah, it's very true. Very an amazing album. I remember buying that album in Jamaica. Oh. Oh, okay. Yeah, so yes, that's why because it's. I think in Jamaica, Jamaica is one of the few places like in the Caribbean that had its own pressing plant, a place called Dynamic Sounds, and I think that. So I've got a Jamaican copy of that album somewhere in the loft or something at the end of the day stored away. So yeah, oh some yeah, you got some fantastic choices there that brought back a lot of memories for me. So we're also going to talk about your favorite film TV box set, and you've chosen the Five Heartbeats by Robert Townsend. Yay, my favorite! I love a musical. I'm a musical person. I mean, as I mean, as much as I do architecture, I can sing it. I do that now. I dance. I do line dancing. R and B line dancing. I love dancing. <laughs> I'm just a dancer to, to the core. <laughs> I probably dance an architect at the same time. <laughs> but um, but um, the five heartbeats is it just fills all the ticks all the boxes for me. Just love that film because a lot of people don't understand the five heartbeats was uh, an actor called Robert Townsend, who was up there with Spike Lee as that that first wave of black filmmakers. Yeah. Um, in the eighties, and the five heartbeats is essentially the story of the Temptations. Correct, yeah. But altered and changed around, obviously, with a certain amount of artistic license. But the, the overall film, very much like Dreamgirls is about the Supremes, uh, Five Heartbeats is about the Temptations. And it is a great film, a very great film. And it puts um, uh, Robert Townsend very much on the acting stroke directorial map. And just great singing, very great singing. Love all the songs in there. Yeah. All of the songs in there is amazing. You've got down Native American, which is a prime box set. So you'll have to tell us a little bit more about that because I don't know that one. Yeah, well, it's that is a really interesting um, series. Um, going back to architecture, my um, my healthy energizing home 
package was really about me kind of, like I said, bringing that centre back into the home environment. And I recently came over the Native American box set. And my dad, um, my parents here in Chichichundadian, and my dad used to say to to me that uh, we were Arabic Indians. So I was like, okay, fine. Yeah, cool. <laughs> I mean, so, um, so when... Um, when the Native American books that came in, I was just looking at it just purely from an interest in the um, concept of the metaphysic concepts of how they design and how the built environment was put together. And it really made me realize that um, when they they spoke about the, the Indian settlements and how they put the buildings together and how these American Indians and had these cultures, you know, the Toltecs and all these amazing, the Mayan cultures, all this amazing architecture. And then it came, I reckon I was told that it was the An- Anahuac American Indians. I was like, oh my God, my dad was right. You know, it was amazing to kind of recognize that part of my DNA somewhere, I remembered how people was meant to live. And I had in my own way through architecture started to bring that back out. Brilliant. So when I, when I saw that box set, it just covered all the things that I just love about architecture. And I was just like, oh, my God, perhaps this is me. Indeed, <laughs> this is, indeed. This is who I am. I didn't even know. You know? Brilliant. So, yeah, so that's a, good, that's a good closing for me. Excellent. Like crummy full circle in life. Cool, cool. So thank you for sharing that. So we're coming towards the end of our conversation now. One of the things I always ask is what is happening for you going forward? It's feeling amazing. I can't, in a way I say I can't believe that I've, that is 11 years, but it's, I feel that it's also in numerology, it is also a higher frequency. So I feel that, yeah, this is the right time for me to step out of my comfort zone, push myself out there a bit more and really start, you know, informing, talking to people more about, their bodies and how their bodies in their environment is being affected and how we are creating you know illnesses and how our lives can be made a little bit better by understanding how to create healthier environments so what I've been able to do um, this past month October was my 11th year anniversary beginning so I'm in my 11th year now so I'm like yes this is the time to kind of, to talk to people and educate them. So if you go onto my website, um, www.lfbconsultants.com with an S, um, you will find a wealth of YouTube videos um, that I have, you know, workshops that I've put on. And I've just like, you know what, just put the information out there. Stop trying to, as much as we all would like to monetize everything, at some point it's like, if you don't allow this information to go out there, then you're just holding on to it and nobody's going to know about it. So on my website, you can learn about so much about the built environment and the, the healthy energizing homes and also architect your life, which is my baby, is really about the mind and about how to be powerful and to create from a place of power within yourself using your whole holistic environment and your your body and your mind and everything and spirit soul bringing it all together 
and really understanding that the great buildings of old was able to do that to to create a space that you can just tune into and feel and connect to and that's really what I'm here to do I'm really here to provide this service to people and help them to find that space so that they themselves can feel powerful and feel great within their own lives. You mentioned slightly your contact details. Can you tell people the best way to contact you, Cherry Bailey, in order to sign up for what you do or to become a client? What's the best way for people to contact you? The website is up and running. There's a contact sheet on there, so you can connect to me directly through that contact sheet. Also, I've got blogs on there as well so that you can read about everything I'm talking about at your own leisure. And also, you can definitely email me at cbailey at lfbconsultants.com. Um, and yeah, my mobile number's on there as well. So you can you can always contact me through there. And yeah, I'm, I'm open. I, the way that I look at it, who's ever is in resonance with what I do, I will have the time for you. Just for everybody listening and the Cashflow crew, there will be notes and pointers towards all of this in the show notes. But before we close off, I wanted to ask two questions. The first question is, in terms of architecture, what's your favourite building in London? Now that stumped me. <laughs> um, hmm... I've never had I've never had that question before. Ah, you see. But um, but, but, but while you're thinking about it, while you're thinking about it, I'll mm. tell you what the ones that I find dramatic when I'm in. I still think the Shard is incredibly dramatic as a building. I like I like very modernistic architecture. I it's either one thing or the other for me. It's either Art Deco or it's really hyper modernist type stuff. Um, that I really am attracted to. One, I like the Shard, and I also like Canary Wolf. I find that very striking. I don't know if that's brutalist art- architecture or, or whether that's modern architecture, but I also, I don't know if you've seen the Elizabeth line. Mm-hmm. If you've been on there, I love the architecture on that. I love that kind of slightly industrial, very, yeah, very, very sort of almost robotic, maybe you know, Fritz Lang metropolis style, that kind of thing. I'm, I'm, I'm attracted by that kind of architecture. Or I've always said that if I was going to build a house, I would build a Huff house. I don't know if you've ever yeah. seen those. Mm-hmm. I love Huff houses, but I'm also a very private person. So the idea of having all that glass at the end, I'm not sure about that at the same time. But yeah, Huff house is, is my dream house. I think, well, for me, I, I was stumped a little because I was like, okay, there's a kind of bit going on in my brain. But I would say that actually the London Bridge, the reason being is that I worked on it when I was working for T.P. Bennett. And to see it being built and renovated now, I like the fact that, that I love the roof structure on there and, and how they have been able to open plan the whole of that station. Oh, London Bridge Station, you mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And how and how they've made that really kind of people orientated in that sense, and I would actually go old school and and actually say St Paul's Cathedral. Okay. Um, because it has the elements. I love the whispering gallery at the top, <laughs> and also because it has a lot of metaphysical elements in there, and it creates. And I love vaulted buildings. 
I just love high vaulted buildings. I just feel that they give an ambience and a resonance and a sound frequency that is really amazing. I just thought I'd throw that in there and see where it takes us. But yeah, no, that's good. That's good. <laughs> Cherry Bailey, architect, founder, director of La Foucard Bailey. Thank you very much for joining us on the Cash Flow Show. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thank you for having me, Clayton. I thoroughly enjoyed myself. Thank you. You're most welcome. We've come to the end of the Cash Flow Show for today, but I would like to say thank you to our guests for taking the time to share their knowledge, wisdom, and insight. If you loved what you've heard on this week's episode, please head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts and leave a five-star review and feedback as it really does help. Whilst you're there, listen to some of our other episodes, which you are bound to enjoy. We want to make this the go-to podcast for entrepreneurs wherever they are in the world and spreading the word really is the best way to grow our show and our community to achieve greater things. Be sure to join us next time for real people, real business, real talk.